Welcome to WeChat Divorce, hosted by Karen Chalou, legal liaison, and Catherine Shanahan, CDFA. Each episode, we sit down with divorce professionals and industry experts to provide insights and frank discussions about real people, real situations, and real divorce to help you achieve your best life post-divorce. This episode of WeChat Divorce is brought to you by My Divorce Solution, Offering divorce financial planning so clients can secure the divorce settlement they deserve. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to request access. Welcome to WeChat Divorce, brought to you by My Divorce Solution and hosted by myself, Karen Shalou, Legal Liaison, and Katherine Shanahan, CDFA. On these special explainer episodes, we answer the top questions about divorce, giving you clarity and confidence as you navigate the divorce process. Thank you for joining us today. And today our topic is IRA and 401k tips and pitfalls to save you thousands. We're hearing so much from our clients that their mediators and or attorneys are providing advice on how to withdraw money from their IRA and 401k to pay off debt, purchase a house, different things like that, because the advice is that during divorce, a tax penalty can be avoided. Sounds amazing, right? Well, it can be, but before you make that decision, you need to know some things. And so today we're gonna break down the pros, cons, and considerations of what you can do with these retirement accounts and where you may find yourself back on your heels paying a lot of money in taxes, even though you may be benefiting from not paying a tax penalty, two different things. When we wrap, you'll feel confident with these tips and the importance of covering all the details. Now let's get to it. That's a lot, there's a lot to consider and everybody likes to go for that 401k because it's a lot of times one of the biggest assets they have when it comes to getting to some money, some cash, right? So I would like to just start with the penalty that you mentioned. I hear a lot about this, see videos about this and I think it needs to be brought to the forefront that yes, you can avoid the excise tax, which is the 10% penalty that's added on to your taxable income from that account. Meaning if you touch an IRA retirement money before 59 and a half, the government charges you an additional 10% because you're taking an early withdrawal, right? So instant to divorce and via a quadro or explicit instructions for an IRA through your decree, you can take a one-time distribution in cash and avoid that 10% if you're under the age of 59 and a half. However, it's still taxable income to you. So a lot of people hear that and they jot to, oh, let me get the money from that account because we don't have to pay the tax on it. We don't have to pay the penalty on it. Well, okay, that could be true, but you're still gonna have to record that as taxable income. So immediately they probably will deduct 20%. So if you're taking out 100,000, 20,000 is going to go to the government. So you're really only getting 80,000 at that time. And Catherine, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the plan administrator, when making the distribution of the withdrawals, do they withhold the taxes at that point? Or is it something you have to pay taxes on when you actually file your tax return or yeah. both? Most of the times it's at that point, they take it out because the government wants to be sure that they're getting that money. And so if they took out too much, when you do your tax return in April, you may get some of that money back. And if they didn't take out enough, you may owe more money. So it depends on your overall income because it gets added as income for you. So depending on what your income is that year, they don't know. 
So they do take it out beforehand. Okay. And so a good idea would be if you were going to consider this is to go to your accountant and talk about the net tax effect if you make this decision. Exactly. And you know, a lot of times people use a 401k as an equalizer amongst other assets. So typically the employee who's the 401k, for example, is in their name, they will do anything to keep that in their name. So if their spouse wants to keep the home and they're going to buy them out of that by letting, you know, using the 401k money, meaning the spouse does not get any of the 401k money Mm -hmm. or vice versa, you have to be really careful because there is a tax ramification from that. So if you're the one buying somebody out and you're using that money to, in another scenario, you're using that money to buy them out, taking that cash out, you're getting 20% less. So do you ask for and negotiate for 20% more so that it does balance it out so that you're both responsible for that taxable incident? Something that overlooked time and time again. So again, it's a negotiation point. How badly do you need to cash that out or, or not? So what you're saying is if the house was $100,000 and so the spouse is buying out at $50,000 and so they're taking $50,000 from an IRA to pay or buy out the house, it's not really $50,000. It's $50,000. They would need to have $50,000 plus 20% to equalize buying out the house. I think right. that's what you're saying. So you would need to take $60,000 out. Otherwise, you're ending up with 40000 instead of 50000 because it's $10,000 taxes, right? Yeah. This is just a simple example that has a lot of factors to it, but for conversation purposes today, right? that's just a mindset to be in because you can now say, oh, gosh, that's a lot of money. You didn't think about that. So, Catherine, let's talk about that client that we had that was going to withdraw from, I, I don't know if it was an IRA or 401k, it doesn't matter. And they were going to withdraw cash with the intent of putting back what they didn't use. Talk about that. Yeah, this was almost to an agreement here. And they were going to use the 401k to buy out. She was going to use her 401k to buy out her spouse's share of the marital home, of which she was keeping. Well, the agreement there was that, okay, we'll liquidate, we'll take half out here. And then I want to pay off a couple of my credit cards. I want to pay my spouse. And then whatever left, which I think will be about $30,000, i am going to put back into an IRA. Well, you can't do that. You have 60 days to roll over money or put money back in. But after that, you can't put any money back in there. So you have to start over. You have to start saving whatever the IRA limits are for the year at that pace. So... You don't get that deferral, that compounded deferral that you already had set up with a lump sum that's there. You have to start over. So everyone knows that the more lump sum of money that you have grows at a faster pace than starting at interval amounts. So depending on your age, that could be very impactful to what your retirement would look like. And again, the tax deferred growth at that point compounds that growth for you because you're not paying taxes over the years. So again, you're making a quick, what you think, logical decision. Yes, logically, we'll take this, we'll pay that, and we'll get the, I'll be free of this, and then I'll just now save that for my retirement. But there are rules and regulations and guidelines that you have to follow, and you need to know that before you decide to make that movement. Even when bringing up these considerations, this particular person said, well, we already have an agreement. Well, agreement wasn't signed. It was mediated agreement. So people are so afraid to go back then and say, okay, wait a minute, we didn't consider this. 
because nobody wants to start over. Everyone's happy that everyone came to an agreement. So these are really important things to think about before you settle on that. Yeah. And I would think in that case, would it have been even financially feasible to take the 20% hit for taxes to pay off a credit card? You know, you you also have to think of that. I, I know a lot of people get into debt and divorce on purpose or for a variety of reasons. And when you're accustomed to paying off your credit cards every month, it becomes very stressful. And so sometimes people will make a decision like this, well, I'll just borrow, get it paid off, and then I will feel better. That may or may not be financially smart. Yeah, well, probably not financially smart. And I'll tell you why. In my personal opinion, and what I've seen is when somebody has that debt, and I know it could be incident to divorce or anything else, and you liquidate an asset that's a tax-deferred vehicle that's really to your benefit, and you pay off a credit card debt, chances are you're going to accumulate credit card debt again. And maybe you do pay it off monthly, but you're not going to be more aware yet of what you're actually spending. You're just going to keep your habit going because you're not really through the divorce process yet. You still have emotions. You're still spending money probably like you're not going to for years to come. But now I look at six months later, that person's credit card debt is high again. You know, they still have a high payment that they can't keep up with, but they already liquidated a lump sum of savings to pay that. So you're not helping yourself by doing that. You're better off just getting on a payment plan to pay them down. This way you don't build it back up again. And while you're in that payment plan, paying them down, you're readjusting your spending habits because now you're really in tune to what your budget is and you're in tune to what you're actually spending the money on. So it's most cases, I believe, just better to keep paying it over time to get into a new healthy habit with your spending and then just let that pretend like you don't have that money and let it grow for you because you'll be really happy when you're, you know, our age and older that you see that you have a lump sum there working for you. You know, it's the same thing here. And I know we, we I know you ask me about this all the time because you talk to the attorneys and the attorneys who are telling their clients to liquidate their 401k so they could pay their attorneys, right? To keep representing them. I mean, that really gets me going. Routinely, this happens. Mm -hmm. Routinely. It always cracks me up because I want to say, okay, well, will the attorney reduce their overall bill by 20%? Because you're only going to get 20% less from that money. So sure, I'll take my retirement money, but you reduce your bill by 20% because I have to reduce what I'm taking out by 20%. I would love to hear the responses on that one. But the retirement money should be the very, very, very last place you go to take any money. One, it's because of the tax ramifications. And two, is because it's difficult to get lump sums of money to grow for you. And three, now that I'm thinking about it, the market is crazy right now. So you're liquidating probably more shares than you have to to get the bottom line number that you want. Um, and you won't get them back at the, those prices if you bought them years and years and years ago, right? Yeah. So Catherine, a lot of the conversation that we're having is if you are not 59 and a half yet, if you're 59 and a half and older, this conversation is different, I believe. Well, the only thing we're avoiding is the penalty, the 10% penalty that you would get for taking out and actually, now that you say it that way, the second thing is it's even more important for you to have that lump sum growing because that is your retirement income. That is a supplement to your retirement income, or in some cases, it is your only retirement income. So if you liquidate any of that, you're really behind the eight ball, as they say, because how are you going to catch up? Yeah. 
So if you're saying you're not 59 and a half, you get a penalty for early withdrawal. If you're 59 and a half or older, you could withdraw anyways. You just have to pay taxes on it. That's a distinction there, right? Okay. Just you have to pay taxes both ways, but you don't have a penalty over 59 Anyways. Mm-hmm. Perfect. You know, the other um, scenario was taking it out. I was thinking of the client who was taking it out to pay the attorney fees and then to to attempt payment on their home, maybe, was it? Anyway, with that scenario as well, there's a penalty, then there's the taxes that are due. You can't make these agreements unless you know what the impact of it is. And you have to do this before you say, yes, I agree to that, whether you sign or not, because I just feel like nobody goes back when they leave a room of a mediated agreement or the two attorneys worked hard to get you to an agreement, but yet you then find out that there's some other things that should be considered. Nobody, everybody's afraid to go back to the professional and think, wait a minute, or the professional say, we can't do that. We already came to an agreement. You can handle it later with your financial planner. Well, no, there is no later to handle that. Once your agreement is finished, your financial planner can only execute what is written in the agreement. If it doesn't specify for you to equalize an asset or it doesn't specify what is being transferred to another spouse, the financial institution can't even do the transfer. So the language is so important. And listen, we're not attorneys, but we can see if a financial option is not being protected or have the language to execute it. So you need your attorney to put that language in there. Otherwise, there is no settling up. You have to go back to court to change the agreement. So you're better off being uncomfortable now and challenging your other professionals to make sure the language does protect you and that you've gone over it than to have to go back later and pay probably more than the 20%, which is probably why people don't go back and do it. It's because it would cost too much. Yeah. And there's a lot of pushback. So some considerations then when you're making these decisions, typically these decisions are being made in mediation and or negotiation when the attorneys are going back and forth. So before you agree, you can consider other things, but you certainly should consider what is the financial impact if I agree to this. And when you're in mediation setting, you don't always have the ability to run and call someone and ask. So just preserve that space for yourself. That's a consideration. Preserve the space for yourself to know and understand the financial impact of taking some of these creative division of assets that seem on its face to be beneficial to you. And other considerations for these types of situations are for, Catherine, you can talk about this, for 401k accounts that are still existing from prior employers to save money later. And this is something you need to decide ahead of time and not after mediation. There's ways that you can roll over and save some money there as well, right? If you have a non-active 401k, so you're no longer employed with that employer, and the account is just sitting there, a lot of people just leave it there, they don't roll it over. You can, instead of using a qualified domestic relations order, which you have to use for an ERISA run plan, which a 401k is, you can have the employee, whichever spouse is the employee, roll that 401k into an IRA, into their name. Once they do that rollover into the IRA, you now could use your divorce agreement, if the language is properly written in there to now just do a transfer, whether you're transferring half the shares in kind. If you're the receiving spouse of the transfer, you have to have an IRA set up somewhere. If you already currently have an IRA, the instructions can be 
to roll it at your half or transfer. Now at that point, it's called, and it has to be called a transfer because you don't want it to be considered a liquidation. So you would transfer that money into your current IRA, or you would establish a new IRA, either at that institution or wherever you want to set it up. And the instructions would read to transfer your shares or your dollar amount into your IRA. And then there is no tax ramifications to anyone for that. And then guess what? You also get to save money on preparing a quadro. There are a couple of companies out there that will do it for free for you, you know, where you work, your employer, very few, but quadros are probably around a thousand dollars now. Wow. So can, I would love to talk about that. A lot of times the fee quoted will be, okay, I charge $600, $1,000 for the quadro to draft it, and you're going to split the cost. That's only one of the costs. Typically, the plan itself has a charge. And don't forget the review time. So someone's going to prepare a quadro. They're going to send it to you. You're going to either agree or not agree, but you certainly need someone who's looking at it very specific to the financial impact to you. Any changes there will go back to the attorney for review. Someone's got to file the quadro. So you're going to add on another one to 2000 just to get it filed. Or if it goes to the plan administrator and it needs revisions or edits because it's not drafted correctly or to their expectations in the first place, that cost a lot of money. So while, when someone says, oh, it cost $1,000, you probably need to double or triple that before the order finally gets back and is ready to be used by the plan administrator. So anything you can do to get it out of the 401k into an IRA, like Catherine was saying, will save you a lot of money. Oh my gosh, so mm-hmm. true. All those added costs that many of us, including myself, forget to think about. And it has to be clearly written out also to get that spouse to roll it into an IRA um, should be done. You should see the instructions going out before you sign agreements. I know it might be take longer and a lot of people don't like to do that. Everything is supposed to be done afterwards, but execute that signing of everything so that you see it's not being processed actually. It's a lot to consider because we all want to just kind of separate when we're getting divorced and get all your financials just taken care of so you're not attached to each other moving on. It's so difficult. But these little things that we're just mentioning today is thousands and thousands of dollars. It's a lot of money for most of us, right? So take that time now. And when you hear that you don't have a penalty to take this money, Stop and think about that. Okay, great. You don't have a penalty, but it's still taxable, which can be kind of a penalty to you because like we mentioned earlier, it's $10,000 less than you thought you were getting. That's a penalty in itself, right? So throws off the balance sheet that you thought was 50-50. Exactly, exactly. So true. So there is a penalty in some cases, right? Even though you're not paying an extra 10%. So don't focus on hearing what you want to hear. Explore it a little bit different. We all don't read like a big email sometimes. It has too, for me, it has too many words in it, right? So I focus on what I want. Or if you're negotiating with a narcissist, they respond and only respond to what they want to respond to, right? So get out of that mindset for yourself on just hearing what you wanted to hear, what you think you wanted to hear. Get the details. So when you hear or see anything that says you don't have a penalty, okay, great, but what do I have? How will this affect me? And then move on from there and avoid taking money out of your retirement money to the very end where you have no other option. Great advice. So this wraps up our explainer on making IRA and 401k tips and pitfalls <laughs> to save you thousands. 
If you're looking for financial understanding of your marital estate, you can get started today by going to our website and click on Get Started. Begin your journey to financial knowledge. For more information on this topic, head on over to MyDivorceSolution.com. We hope this episode was informative and supportive on your divorce journey. If you're looking for more support and guidance for navigating the divorce process with confidence and clarity, head over to our website for more podcast episodes, divorce events, and tools for your journey ahead. We'll see you back here for our next episode. P.S. This video is intended for general informational purposes only and should not be construed as financial or legal advice. If you're considering divorce or are in the midst of it, you need a community that understands what you're going through. That's why we created a divorce community. Our online divorce support group is an empowering, safe space where you can find support and resources to help you through this difficult time. The community is packed with valuable information and connections to help you through every challenge of divorce. At My Divorce Solution, our goal is to make the divorce process less daunting. If that sounds right for you, we'd love for you to join us. You can access the free divorce community at MyDivorceSolution.com. That's MyDivorceSolution.com to request access to our free online divorce support group. Thanks for joining us on another episode of WeChat Divorce. We hope this episode was informative and supportive on your divorce journey. If you are looking for more support for navigating divorce with confidence and clarity, head over to MyDivorceSolution.com for more podcast episodes, divorce events, and resources for your divorce. We'll see you back here for our next episode.